Welcome to Preschool and Beyond, a podcast where we tackle some of the most common and the most challenging issues facing preschool-age children and their families. Recording from Discovery Child Development Center is your host, Mike DeLaud. Hi, and welcome to episode 30 of Preschool and Beyond, Self-Regulation. There are so many important skills children develop during the preschool years. Perhaps none of these skills, though, are as important as the ability for children to learn to regulate their emotions, behavior, and their thoughts. Um, today, we'll be focusing on that process of self-regulation, and to help us with it, we have Lara Kale, who is a early childhood mental health consultant. Thank you so much for joining us today, Lara. Thank you for having me. So when we talk about self-regulation first, what do we mean by that term and why is this such an important skill for children to acquire? Well, similar to what you just said in the opening, self-regulation is what the children or even adults do to manage their emotions, control their body and all of their bodily functions, so physical, as well as maintaining focus and attention. So you can imagine that that's going to be really important for children and adults because emotions happen, feelings happen. So being able to figure out what those emotions are and control them and really deal with them in a way that's functional for society is super helpful. And while adults are really good at multitasking and they can handle lots of things at once, kids generally can't. So that self-regulation becomes really important for them to be able to handle those big things that take over. Absolutely. I know sometimes we get a little frustrated with kids like, come on, why can't you get over that? You know, but for them in that moment, you know, that is the only thing that matters to them, even if it seems something that's not significant to us. Exactly. Oh, that happens so often when children are just stuck and we can't figure out what's going on. It's like, why are you stuck? You know what to do. You, I've seen you do it. But like you're saying, in that moment, that's all that's important in their brain. That's where they are. They need to be able to get past it and get through it. And so often they need us to help them do that because they are just children. They're still learning. Right. So what are some of the ways children develop their self-regulation skills? Well, that's an excellent way to ask it because it is important to remember that they're born with the potential to have these skills, but children are not born knowing how to do this. So a lot of ways that they do develop it is just through their environment, especially when children have a wonderful, loving, nurturing environment. A lot of their self-regulation skills just develop naturally because they are surrounded by those caring adults who are able to model for them and encourage and scaffold those skills to become, you know, part of their repertoire. Unfortunately, not all of the children in our world have that happen. And as their brains are developing, sometimes they may get, you know, more developed in other areas as opposed to the I'm going to take a deep breath and calm down when a big emotion happens. It might be I'm going to throw something because this big emotion is happening. 
So we really, when we're thinking about how children are learning to self-regulate as adults, it's important to think about what are the children being exposed to? What have they seen? Because they do need to see and learn and really be reinforced for what they're doing when it is an appropriate and you know beneficial skill to have. So a toddler who you know maybe gets scared, they might stick their fingers in their mouths to self-soothe. That's learning self-regulation. That's a great way to do it. You know, letting that infant or toddler know wow, you put your fingers in your mouth to calm down. This is a scary moment. Just doing something as simple as making that statement can help those connections in the brain to become stronger and for those skills to develop. So the brain will develop to fit the environment it's in. And when things work for the child, those are the skills that stay. Yeah, That's because... the way it works with self-regulation, too. Uh-huh. And I think um, you mentioned earlier the modeling piece. Um, you know, it can be difficult yeah. enough for the children to be able to do that, especially when, you know, that they're really locked in on that one thing. So our ability to regulate our own emotions plays such a key role. If we're staying calm, um, you know, that is definitely going to have a much better effect on them versus if we're just adding, why are you so upset? Get over it. You know, that's not going to help that process along. Exactly. That's going to create the connections in the brain that we may not want to be strengthened. That'll be those fear responses, um, the survival responses. And our children may end up, you know, imitating what they've seen from us. And as you know, that's not really what we want to see our kids doing, whether it's at home or at preschool. We don't want our children to be responding to those emotions by becoming upset and yelling and possibly doing some other challenging behaviors. Definitely. Um, you mentioned um, a toddler using their fingers um, to help them calm down. Can you just kind of give us some examples? Um, sometimes it might be hard for parents to know kind of what children should be able to do at each of these ages and some of the methods they might use. So could you talk about what self-regulation might look like at um, like a toddler level, then as an older preschool, what skills they should start showing? Definitely. So for a toddler, the self-regulation, it's going to look more like meeting other people because they're not as able to do skills on their own, which is understandable. They're toddlers. So self-regulation in a toddler may be their coming over to the adult, it may be seen as clingy behaviors and where they just need the hugs, they need that closeness. It may be that they want to go into a quiet corner and just sit there by themselves, maybe hide under a blanket even, something to help them feel safe and secure. So one of the things that I do like to tell parents and caregivers is when we do see our children doing things like that, Take that step back and look. Is it the child trying to soothe and calm themselves? And if so, is there something we can do to help support them? Or is it something else? So really looking at why that behavior is happening. For preschool children, it can also look like going into a corner or a safe space, a cozy area, somewhere to calm down. It could be a child just stopping and taking a deep breath. 
sometimes preschool children can be super exaggerated when they do things like that. And it can look silly to some adults where, you know, the child just will stomp the feet and just make a big sigh or a big huff and, <gasps> and like, oh my goodness, what is going on? That can be that child trying to regulate their emotions, figure out what's going on. You know, what is this big emotion that's taking over? Or I really want to go and run across the room to get to that other child, but I know that our class rule is to use our walking feet, so I've got to stop myself before I do it. So those are some things that we can look for in our children with their self-regulation and our preschool children. As they get older, usually above four, around five or six, that's when that cognitive piece of it, the cognitive self-regulation comes in. That's where they're able to develop their plans. Their executive functioning starts to develop. Those are things like impulse control and longer attention spans and planning and organizing, all the stuff that we hope, you know, children and adults have. So that's really when that starts to develop. And the key there is starts. Our preschool children, even our young kindergartners, early elementary they're not going to have those skills so well. So we want to look and recognize every little bit that they're doing and really give attention to those small steps so that we can help encourage more of that development and more of that behavior. So when you see your child maybe go into an area like a center in a classroom and they're kind of looking around engaging what they want to do, that's the development of those planning skills and those organization skills, which is part of that cognitive self-regulation. And that's really an awesome thing that we want to recognize. So when the child is having a hard time with self-regulation, when you're seeing more of the dysregulation, what mm-hmm. steps in that moment when the child's having a really hard time do you usually recommend? Um, is it better to give them more spaces or are you more of the philosophy that's uh, parents should kind of step in a little more then? That's an excellent question. And I do think in those moments, it's going to be very individualized based on the child. Um, we all have temperaments. And some people like to think of temperaments as being good or bad. So highly active or low active. You, you might think that a low active child might be better, so to speak, for in the customer at home, but that's not necessarily the case. It's simply a range, and you want to recognize where in the temperament is that child, because that's going to determine how you're going to respond. So if you have a child who is more of the clingy, touchy, wanting to be close child, for that child, the response to dysregulation is going to be much more involved for the parent or the caregiver as opposed to the child that if you were to get too close, that may cause even more dysregulation. So you really need to pay attention to your child from the time they're born even. Recognize what they respond well to and what they don't in order to know how to respond and react when they become dysregulated. So if you do have a child who, even an infant who's just crying and crying and crying and is completely completely dysregulated, can't seem to get the thumb in the mouth to suck himself soothe. But you know that when you're close and you're touching that child, that child will calm down. 
that's the moment where as a parent or caregiver, you would want to step in. You would want to touch the child, not even necessarily hold the child, because, you know, we do have people who say that their child has to be held 24-7. We do want to teach children they don't have to be held 24-7, but be there to maybe rub the back and breathe with that child. One of the things you mentioned earlier was you as the adult have to be calm, and that is so important to keep in mind. If you're not calm, the child's going to mirror your your atmosphere, your environment that you're putting out. So when you are calm, they're better able to match your state and to calm down, which is really crucial at all ages for all people, not only you know children, adults as well. So that's huge to remember whether your child wants you close or not. You can really do a lot to control the environment and the atmosphere around that child. Even if you're across the room, you can be breathing and wishing that child well and helping to calm the atmosphere around them. Great. And I think um, what you mentioned earlier is also really important to keep in mind is to, it really does need to be individualized. Um, I have, I have three boys, but I would say I have two kind of on the extremes and, you know, we, I think parent them pretty similar, but like my oldest one, when he was especially younger in the, during the preschool years, he would have some longer um, times where he was just really just upset and couldn't calm himself down. He liked to go to his room during those times and be by himself mm-hmm. when he was kind of ready to re-engage, then he would want the hug. But like, if you kind of went near him, that it just wasn't helpful. Like he just needed to process it by himself. My youngest one likes the hug immediately and he, you know, that will help him move on and eventually regulate himself. But, um, you know, I think seeing how they respond to different things will help guide you in what would be your best response as a parent. Exactly. It's so important to do that. And it does mean putting in a little bit more effort on your part and really paying attention to your child. But as we all know, our kids did not come with user manuals. So we have to create them. And each child's different. Like you said, you have three and they're different. I have two. They're completely different. And almost every child I work with is different. So really being very individualized and recognizing what that child needs and what they respond well to can be so helpful. During the preschool years, I talked about the beginning that this is, I think, one of the most, if not the most important skill. So when you're selecting a preschool, you want to pick one that is going to really work with the children on developing these skills. So when you're touring preschools, like what things should you look for to tell if they are going to help children develop these skills? That is a very, very important question. And I hope a lot of parents are listening to this because this is huge. You want to really see when you walk into that preschool, first close your eyes and just feel the atmosphere. And this gets all kind of touchy-feely weird for some people, but pay attention to how it feels when you walk in. There's some places you can walk into that just feels rushed or hurried or uncomfortable That is not the atmosphere that you would want your children to walk into because if we remember that 
our atmosphere is what the children are going to be mirroring. We want it to feel calm. We want to see that there are calm spaces for the child where they can go when they become overwhelmed or experience those big feelings, whether it be a cozy corner, a cozy area, or a really welcoming library center or book center, something that can just appear from looking to be a calm, safe type space. It would be amazing if there were signs that the class focused on positive behaviors. So you want to look at the class rules or expectations, see how they're phrased. Is it a lot of no's or is it a lot of behaviors that you want to see? So instead of no running, you should use your walking feet. Simple things like that that are super powerful, that's what you want to pay attention to, as well as are there signs around the classroom that the teacher is super involved with the kids, that the families are part of, the families from home are part of the school family, that everybody is together, that, you know, there are positive pieces for the staff. They aren't simply people who come in to watch your child, but they're a part of, again, that idea of a school family. Think about what it would be like if you were to spend your day there. Is it very overwhelming or is it something that's welcoming? So those are the key things that I like to look for when I go into preschools. And that's really what I recommend that parents do as well. If it's got a good feeling and it's somewhere that they would want to spend their time, then their children probably will feel happy and safe and secure there as well. Yeah, those are some very good tips, I think, when checking out preschools. So now let's say the preschool days come to an end, the child's back home uh, with the parents. What are some of the top things that they can continue to do at home to reinforce those skills? A lot of communication back and forth between the school and the home. That way you can have some consistency. Sometimes schools have ways that they like to teach things. They have maybe a class mascot, and that mascot is teaching the kids what to do. I know I use a lot of conscious discipline when I'm working with children and teachers. So I like to say let's be a star because that's a breathing technique where you smile, take a deep breath, and relax. So that's something that the parents would want to know so that they can have that bridge between the school and the home. And it really can be something as simple as just knowing that the teacher says be a star. So the parent can say, let's be a star and they can practice those skills. Everything almost that happens at school can happen at home also if there's enough communication between the parents and the teachers so that they're able to work together. And the children really respond well to that. And it can be as simple as just breathing with the kids because that's a great skill for kids to have, especially when they're developing self-regulation. And when do you see, I know you work with um, children that often have a harder time with these areas. So when would you say it's kind of the difference between like, regular um, developmental issues with self-regulation that kind of all kids go through versus ones who should seek additional help? Like what are those red flags during the preschool years? That is a great question. 
So when we're dealing with infants and toddlers, that would be the child who, when you're doing the things that most of the children respond to and they're able to get themselves together. So maybe you're doing breathing techniques, you're doing fun games in the classroom, and these children just can't seem to get it together. And I say it like that because that's typically what I hear from parents and teachers, that the kid just can't get it together. So in that case, that's when you would want to look for some outside support. In the preschool years, that dysregulation really gets to the extreme when the teacher who uses all of their skills and strategies, and like I said, similarly with the infants and toddlers, and it works for most of the kids, but for this child, it just doesn't work. That's when you'd want the help. It's when you have the kid who maybe is becoming super aggressive when they get angry and you try the breathing and you try to give them their safe space. You try to encourage them, you model for them and they just aren't getting it. That may be when you want to ask for some help. You want to get somebody outside. And a lot of times it's that they just haven't developed the skills that they need yet but that outside support can help to give you some new strategies perhaps to develop those skills or maybe identify that there's something a bit deeper happening and then help you get to where you need to go to get those resources that will help the child continue to grow and learn. Great. And so uh, where can parents, like what types of supports are available in the community? So it depends on the community you're in. I know that you are in Dake County. They have a wonderful resource there called Project Enlightenment that's through the public school system. Through there, they have lending libraries. They have consultants. They have therapists. They have some great connections just through that one resource. So that's an amazing place to call and reach out to. If you're in a different county and you happen to be lucky enough to have an early childhood mental health consultant, such as myself, that's awesome. Find that person. If you don't know what the resources are, if your child is under three, you would call the, well, in North Carolina, it's called the Children's Mental Services Agency or the CDSA. That's the part, um, goodness, is it part C or part B? I think it's part C provider. Um, for infants and toppers, that's essentially the first line of defense. Okay, I have a concern. They can do some screenings and let you know if there are serious concerns that need to be addressed or significant concerns. Or if not, they would say, all right, well, here are some other resources to support you. If your child's over three, it would be the public school system. They have, it's called Project Child Find, and they have specialists that their whole purpose is to do screenings and evaluations to help you figure out what can help your child. They're pretty amazing people. So, and that's everywhere. So the infant toddler program and the project child Find that's nationwide. So there are resources out there. Yeah. You know, I definitely recommend seeking those out and the earlier you can address these issues, much more likely you'll be able to get the help that your child will get the support he or she needs to thrive later on. Um, if you, you're in a community, you're not sure what those resources are, check with the teachers, school administrators, your pediatrician can also assist you in finding those. Um, 
So that brings us to the final segment of our show, our show and tell. Um, Lara, do you have a show and tell for us today? I do have a show and tell. So my show and tell comes from conscious discipline and really conscious discipline itself could be my show and tell. If you're not familiar with it, please definitely check it out. There's some fun free resources on the website and some amazing books and activities. The one that I really want to stress as amazingly beneficial when we're helping kids develop their self-regulation is called the DNA process. And the D stands for describing. So you want to notice and describe and demonstrate the child's body and face. So when you have a child who's getting really angry and you know their face gets all wrinkly and tense, you can say, your face is going like this. And you make the face so that they look. And as they're looking, you take a big, deep breath. Because remember, we want to calm the atmosphere. So you're breathing for them. Then the N stands for noticing and naming. You're naming that feeling. You seem angry. But notice I said seem, because you don't necessarily know that child is angry. So you say you seem angry. You're going to use your best educated guess in the moment. And when you're wrong, kids like to tell you you're wrong. But when you're right, that helps build the connection. And then the A is for acknowledging. And with you acknowledge wherever that upset might be coming from. So maybe the child is angry because another child knocked over her tower. You built a tower and your friend knocked it over. We can build it again. And just letting them know that you're there and you see them and their feelings are valid can build such a strong attachment and such a strong connection, which then builds resilience and self-regulation skills and all of the wonderful things that we want our kids to develop. And it's got a cool, easy way to remember yeah. it. So it's DNA. Yeah, no, I really like that. That's great. Thank you so much for sharing it. And thanks uh, for coming on our show today. It was great having you, Lara. This has been awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, you can find a link to what we talked about today on our show notes page at discoverychilddevelopmentcenter.com slash podcast. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash preschool and beyond. Thank you all for listening today, and we will see you again in two weeks.